Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Jane Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce. And this is going to be really cool. We have Alan Tobolk online today, and we're going to talk about the Chinese agent. Jim Forrester, the FBI director, is assassinated in Mexico City when President Bannock appoints one of my favorite people, Kelly Cameron, a rising FBI agent, director of the Bureau's China section, to take charge of the investigation. Alan Topol is here to tell us more. Good morning. How are you? Morning, Fran. How are you? It's a real pleasure to be with you, as always. I love talking with you about my books, really. It's a high point. This this book really got me. <laughs> From the beginning, so give me a summary. But why did why did um, Kelly get chosen for this particular thing? Of course, she's the director of the China section, and why did they kill the director? So sad. Well, it is. But let me begin by telling you, as usual for my books, is um, I'm trying to do two things. One. I want to create a page-turner where the reader will really be stay up at late, listening and turning pages, wanting to get the action. And I also want to have something to say about an important issue in the world so that the reader will end up, I don't want to lecture anybody, but they'll come away learning a little bit about about some new topic. So let's focus on the first, which is the plot, which is what the point of your question. And let me let me come to that. Um, Kelly Cameron, as you well know, because we've done it in two other books, is uh, mid thirties, single mom. She has a twelve year old daughter who's a bit of a handful, and she has risen very fast in the FBI hierarchy. Um, and is now in charge of the China section. And her rise in the FBI um, is due in no small part to the fact that the FBI director, former judge Jim Forrester, uh, really likes Kelly and thinks Kelly is, is very, very good. And so he took her kind of under his wing. He became her mentor, and, um, and she was promoted because of Jim Forrester, which is all good. But now Forrester goes off at the beginning of the book on a secret trip to Mexico City, and there the FBI director, Jim Forrester, is murdered. The president, uh, Braddock, um, then meets with Kelly and the deputy director, and they have to decide who's going to be in charge of the investigation. And Braddock decides to appoint Kelly because she had been close with Forrester, and for Kelly, this poses a really 
kind of a uh, an, an enigma problem because yes, she wants to find out who killed Forrester, but but she's also sad and she's grieving for Forrester. So it puts her in kind of a tough position, but she can't say no to the president. And um, he knows about her relationship with Forrester and that Forrester was her mentor. So she goes off to Mexico City to try to find out what happened to Forrester and who murdered him. And that's the beginning of the novel. Yeah, I know. I couldn't put that down, and I felt so bad. So he was he was in time. So who was he supposed to meet with? Well, who was the director Forrest, supposed to meet with? Forrester, the director, was supposed to meet with another FBI agent because that FBI agent had come to Washington ten days earlier, and he said to Director Forrester that there is something sinister going on in Mexico. The Chinese government is involved in, with the Mexican election, trying to influence the Mexican election. And this is a very troublesome situation. And, and I think you should come down to Mexico City and speak to the Mexican president. And that's what prompts Forrester to go. Forrester tells the FBI agent in Mexico City, he tells him, look, you complete your investigation, you come up with whatever evidence you can come up with, and then I'll go down to Mexico City. We'll have a dinner meeting on a Sunday night in my hotel. You present me with the information and the evidence, and, and we'll go forward from there. So that's what happens that prompts Forrester to go to, to Mexico City. And so that's, that's kind of the beginning of the novel. Um, he shows up for the dinner meeting with the, with the um, FBI agent, and what happens is the FBI agent never shows, and Forrester ends up being murdered. And that's really what um, what triggers it and and gets the action going uh, for this story and and that leaves that leaves uh, the U.S. to try to pick up the pieces and try to figure out what happened. It's really sad because if you listen to the news, it's always China or Russia and China trying to do something. It's it's, it's amazing. So this is true to life, basically. So well, what it, it is. You're right. You're absolutely right, yeah. uh, Fran. And, um, you know, because, as you know, this is what I try to do with my books. I try yeah. to make them true to life. I try to make them realistic and bring in reality. But, but when you said Russia and China, as you know, I've done a number of books involving Russia, the Russian resurgence, mm -hmm. the Russian endgame. But lately I've gotten focused on China because... I understand that what's happening is very important involving Russia in the Ukraine and what Putin yeah. is doing, but the reality is as we look ahead beyond that and as we look ahead to the next several decades, the real challenge and conflict for the United States is not with Russia. It's not going to be with Russia. They're important and they'll play a role. 
but the real challenge for the United States is going to be with China and vis-a-vis China, because no question about it, the United States has been the dominant world power um, since the end of the Second World War, and China is now moving up and nipping at our heels. And this is the serious point that is the background issue for my novel, The Chinese Agent, and that's what, what, the book, what the book deals with, as well as who killed the FBI director. I know. I just interviewed um, Don Batley for the new Tom Clancy. So it was China, Russia, and North Korea. I was like, oh, my God, I'm learning so much. So she comes upon something called, this was really scary, Operation Chameleon. So who was behind that, and how did you create that? Okay, well, that was entirely my creation. Is oh, good. I have to say, <laughs> yeah, I did. I have to say uh, my beginning point, my starting point for this, in a way, is um, there are two things at work, is the Cuban Missile Crisis. Now, uh, many of my readers and your listeners lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis, Um, involving Russia's effort to install missiles in Cuba pointed at the United States. And what I'm dealing with here in this book is, as part of Operation Chameleon, a Chinese effort to install, to influence the Mexican presidential election and then getting elected a favorable candidate and then using Mexico as the platform to install missiles of theirs and a secret military base with missiles pointed at the United States. That's Operation Chameleon. But interestingly in my book, Operation Chameleon, although it's a Chinese government, um, Chinese government effort and enterprise, but the, the initiative the creation of Operation Chameleon came not from the Chinese government, but it came rather from initially from an American who is a lawyer, former uh, legal advisor to the State Department, head of a big American law firm in Ch- in China, stationed in living in in Beijing, and she conceived of this idea and she then sold it to the Chinese president. So that's really where the initiation came for Operation Chameleon. That's interesting. So tell us about, I didn't like this guy too much, Daryl Barton. Why did he have a problem with Kelly? How do you have a problem with Kelly? Well, she's not going to touch you. She's not going to take it. We know that. No, she's not going to take it, right. Daryl Barton is the head of the Mexican is the head of the FBI office in Mexico City. The FBI has had an office in Mexico City for quite a while, and she is the, I'm he, Daryl Barton, is the head of the FBI office in Mexico City. And Daryl Barton um, is corrupt. He is totally on the take from the um, drug dealers in Mexico. He's on the take from the, um, Chinese government in connection with Operation Chameleon, and I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to give anything away for your readers. 
I don't want to say what, if any, role he had in the murder of, um, of FBI Director um, uh, Forrester. I'll let your reader read the, the book and decide, you know, and find out what, if anything, Daryl Barton had. But Daryl Barton is corrupt, and so when Kelly comes down to Mexico City, the president sends her down. She, of course, has to um, has to meet with the FBI director in Mexico City because that's part of her job, and she does that. But but Barton, of course, um, is antagonistic. He's hostile. Mm. He resents her. He resents any authority. He resents people coming from headquarters. He regards Mexico City, Mexico, period, as his own fiefdom and. Uh, Daryl Barton refuses to cooperate, and he becomes an obstacle throughout the entire novel for Kelly Cameron as she clashes with him throughout. So that's, well, that's kind a of red their, flag. their role. Oh, it that's is a, a red, flag. red flag. Absolutely. Yeah, yes, no, for I got sure. That. It totally is. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. You know, I'll have to say, before I forget, your, your 10 stars are on Amazon. I just put them there. This one, you oh, know? Oh, great. Thank you, thank you. I really <laughs> appreciate it. I've been very, very heartened. All of the responses on Amazon, everybody's giving this book five stars. I mean, every single, I saw that. Every single re- reviewer, I've never had a book where every reviewer gives it five stars. I mean, I'm just thrilled with that response so far on Amazon, really. Anyhow. That's rare on Amazon because I put a whole bunch on Amazon last week and they were like, one, one one author whose book I thought was great, they gave him a half a star. It's like, where are you? You didn't read this. So right, tell us right. about Richard Weller and who is Elena? What happens when Kelly and Richard pay her a visit? And what do we learn? Well, not too much. We can't tell anybody. You guys want to read this. you got to read this. Well, um, okay, so it's interesting with Kelly and Richard Weller is because Weller is um, Kelly – Kelly's divorced. Uh, her husband had been a lawyer, Jason, who was a kind of workaholic, and he wasn't interested in either Kelly or or their daughter, Julie. And so they divorced a couple years ago. And she has now has a relationship with, and, and they live together in Kelly's house with Richard Weller. Um, Weller is a former CIA agent. He'd been very successful as a um, as a CIA agent, and um, and so Weller, um, they 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 have a great love affair. They're engaged to be married, although they haven't set uh, a date for a wedding. But they're engaged to be married, and Weller is um, operating a private security international security firm. But at the same time, he does whatever he can to help Kelly. So Kelly has. Though normally she would reach out to Jim Forrester and get help and advice from Forrester if she was on one of her cases. She can't do that, obviously. Forrester's been murdered. But she can go to Jim Forrester, uh, I guess Richard Weller, for help and advice. And she also has her father, who's a former uh, and very successful CIA agent. She can go to him for advice. So um, Weller goes with her. Uh, She makes an initial trip to Mexico City, and then she makes a second trip to Mexico City, and Richard Weller goes with her 
um, on that second trip to Mexico City uh, because it's risky, it's dangerous. He wants to go with her. And so they go together. And the first thing they want to do when they get to Mexico City is meet with Elena, who is the wife of the FBI agent in Mexico City, who was supposed to meet with um, the FBI director and didn't show up at dinner. And, and that's a really kind of a fascinating meeting of the two of them with um, Elena. I don't want to give away what happens to the meeting. Let me just say when Weller and um, Kelly show up at Elena's house, um, a neighbor comes, a former Mexican a special agent, comes across the street, uh, pulls a gun, drops a, and, and, and pulls a gun on Kelly and Weller, and that's how their visit with Elena begins. I don't want to tell the, my, my readers, your listeners, what happens in that meeting. So from the get-go, we've got an action scene when they arrive in Mexico City, and that's, that's what happens at Elena's house. Now we get to the title of the book. This is really Sally Wu, right? And she's supposedly the Chinese agent. What exactly is the Chinese agent, and what is she supposed to do? Okay, well, that's a great question, because Kelly Cameron had um, being in charge of the of the Chinese section of the FBI. She has observed that the Chinese government is recruiting a number of Chinese Americans in the United States to try to assist them in providing information and spying for China. This is not, this is a fact. I mean, which isn't to say, I mean, of course, the vast, vast majority of Chinese Americans are very, very loyal American citizens, and I don't mean to imply anything else. On the other hand, it is a fact that the Chinese government has, over the years, managed to recruit a number of Chinese Americans to spy for them in the United States. There's an excellent nonfiction book on this topic, men by the name of Weiss, called The Tiger Trap. Um, so this is, I used as background for my book. I think this is very important, that this, this fact. And so what Kelly decides is that this was about a year earlier in the story, or ahead of when the story begins. Kelly decides that she will um, go out and find a person, a Chinese-American who's a loyal age, a loyal person to the United States. And she will, with that person's acquiescence, and she's willing to pay them, she will dangle them in front of the Chinese government, hoping that the Chinese government will ask them to spy for China. So we have now Sally Wu is basically is a double agent because She's, in fact, Kelly recruited her, Kelly dangled her before the Chinese, and so the Chinese then took the bait. The way they did that is that Sally Wu went to speak at an international conference in China, and at that international conference, the Chinese government recruited her. And so 
she was now recruited, and she has been asked to supply information to the Chinese about the Mexican election. And so that becomes a pivotal part of the book, and hence the title of the book, The Chinese Agent. And again, I want to be careful not to give anything away, but I will just tell your listeners, my readers, that they will end up, as they follow the novel, with a real question is, where are Sally Wu's true loyalties lie? Yeah. And, and, And that's why the title of the book is called The Chinese Agent. I mean, is she solidly with Kelly and Kelly's camp? Or is she not, or has she, or is she really kind of on the on the Chinese side? And this is a big, big part of the novel. And I don't want to say any more about this topic, but it's you know it's fascinating because this whole business of agents and double agents. I mean, I've just finished reading; it's a couple years old. Um, the John Le Carre's book, the, his latest one, the, the Pilgrim, something or other. And he's very, very good in dealing, of course, with with spies, with British spies. And and it's, you know, that that earlier period of time for Le Carre's books. But it's the same thing. It's the issue is, you know, where do agents' loyalties lie? And agents are recruited by a government, but then what if the competing government recruits them? Where then do their loyalties lie? And so that's really the... um, something that's at the heart of this book. But I really loved creating the character Sally Wu. She's a professor of history at Georgetown University. She's very, very savvy, uh, very smart. And and her background is, as the reader will find, is, shall we say, questionable, as, as yeah. the novel writes. She has, without giving it away, she has a very shall we say, fascinating background, this character, Sally Wu. So she's a pivotal part of the novel as well. Anyhow. And now we come to somebody else. Hmm. Who is Miguel Garcia, and what is his lead to Gwen Phillips? What is she really supposedly doing? And okay. what about the president of China? I wasn't sure about him. Well, uh, Miguel Garcia is is um, running for Mexican president, and he is he was an outsider. He's not a standard politician in Mexico, and he's basically an outsider. And what Miguel Garcia did is he's, he was a lawyer in, uh, in Mexico, very successful, and he decided to come in as an outsider as a populist candidate and try to run for Mexican president, there were two established parties, and he came in as an outsider trying to um, to run and, and take over and, and be elected the Mexican president. So that's what Miguel Garcia is up to. Now, Miguel Garcia, and this is a terribly important part of the novel, is Miguel Garcia had been at Oxford University when he was a student. And um, there he met Gwen, who, if you'll recall, um, as I said a few minutes ago, 
Gwen is now working in China. She's a very successful American lawyer, but she had been at Oxford uh, University at the same time Miguel was at Oxford University. So the two of them developed a romantic relationship, but that didn't happen because um, Miguel, uh, because Miguel's uh, family was more interested and Miguel was interested in going into politics, and that meant he had to uh, marry somebody who was, who was, of course, Mexican. So that wasn't going to take, it wasn't going to work, her being married to an American. So mm. what, happens, what happens then is Miguel, um, but when Sally puts together her Operation Chameleon, uh, which we were talking about when she puts together Operation Chameleon, then she knows that Miguel is running for president in Mexico, and she reaches out to Miguel to try to include him and get him involved in Operation Chameleon. And, um, and that becomes the linchpin of Operation Chameleon is the relationship between Gwen and um, between uh, the two of them. Uh, so that's really what sets it off, Miguel Garcia and Gwen and their relationship, Fran. Well, they want to get rid of anybody that's, that's opposite them. And in this world, that's what happens. If you disagree with me, you're going to go. You've got to be careful. So exactly, where's exactly. My, where's my right. box book here? So how and why do they get Who is Costa and why? what happens? And Kelly was really upset about that one. Well, Nicholas Costa is yeah. the yeah he is the agent. Um, he's the agent, Fran, who came to Washington from Mexico City. He has only been in Mexico City a short time, and uh, Nicholas Costa had been the head of the FBI office in Argentina. So he came to Mexico. Um, the FBI transferred him to Mexico and to Mexico City, and Nicholas Costa um, was the one who got wind of the idea that something is happening in the Mexican election. Um, he's gotten ideas that Garcia is being influenced by China and that the Chinese are trying to influence the election. So with that in mind, what Miguel Garcia, uh, what what um, what Nicholas Costa did is he goes off to, he flies to Washington, he has a secret meeting with FBI Director Forrester, and Forrester likes, likes Nicholas Costa. Forrester promoted Nicholas Costa um, in Argentina to be the head of the office, and then he moved him to Mexico City, which was a more important office. And so um, Nicholas Costa then goes to um, Nicholas Costa then came to Washington, met with FBI Director Forrester, and told Forrester about his information and his evidence of what's going on in Mexico City with the Mexican election. And that's what prompted the thing to get going. Now, since uh, Nicholas Costa has done the investigation and come up with this information, he is, of course, viewed as a threat 
to mm-hmm. the Chinese government who were trying to implement Operation Chameleon. And as you might imagine, Nicholas Costa is now at risk uh, for his life. Now, his, his wife is Elena. I don't want to tell um, no. the, your listeners, my readers, what happens to Nicholas Costa, but let's just say Nicholas Costa is seriously at risk um, from what, what's going on at this point in the book. Um, okay, so now we have, why does Kelly go to Uruguay and what happens? And what does Nicholas's sister tell her about anything? I was well, worried that she was going to Uruguay of all places. No, it's a wonderful place. Let's talk about that for a minute. I like to work into my novels places that I have been that I find really terrific and 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 um, interesting and exciting. And and Uruguay is a place like that. So I've been there. I've spent time there. And as you know from my other books, I often try to include in my novels uh, places that I've been. And so this is um, Uruguay is a place that I've been. So I try to uh, I, I I work that into the novel. But but you know how how do I do it? Well, okay, how do I do it with Uruguay? Is as follows. So what happens is that um, Nicholas Costa, when he went to visit Forrester in Forrester's hotel room is he found Forrester dead. And that doesn't give anything away. Everybody already knows Forrester died. So he found Forrester dead. And Nicholas Costa is on the run. And the reason that he goes to Uruguay is because he is from Uruguay. And remember, I had said a few minutes ago, Nicholas Costa was the head of the FBI office in Argentina, which, of course, is right next to Uruguay. So what had happened was um, Nicholas Costa is on the run, and he goes back to his basically his, his home, the place where he grew up. And it happens to be that's a vineyard and a winery in Uruguay. Now, as you know, Fran, from our discussions and from my other books, I'm very interested in wine and wineries, and so he will, uh, Nicholas Costa, ends up going back to a secret trip. He's hiding out. He's on the run because he fears, um, correctly so, that whoever killed Forrester is going to want to kill him as well. So he leaves. He's on the run, and that's that's really what... Um, what what happens, and that's what brings Nicholas Costa to Uruguay. Now, as far as what happens to Nicholas Costa in Uruguay, that I don't want to I don't want to talk about. I don't want to give that one away to your readers, but um, I mean to your listeners, to my readers. But anyhow, so Nicholas Costa goes to Uruguay, and that's what happens there. At any rate, so who is who is Jang, and how does the Chinese always get one step ahead of Kelly? Well, the, F, the the Chinese do stay one step ahead of, of Kelly, but Dang operates a Chinese restaurant in Mexico City, and he is um, a friend of Nicholas Costa, and he does not like what the Chinese government is trying to do 
in Mexico City. His family has lived in Mexico for a couple generations. He operates a successful Chinese restaurant, and Dang is upset and bothered by the Chinese involvement in the Mexican presidential election. And what Dang tries to do is he tells Nicholas Costa what he's learned. Now, how does he learn stuff? Well, um, Nick, uh, Dang operates this very successful Chinese restaurant, which is a couple of blocks from the several blocks from the Chinese embassy, and it gets a a large crowd of people of its clientele from the Chinese embassy, and Dang hears information and learns things. And then based on what Dang learns, then he proceeds to take that information and give it to Nicholas Costa, and that triggers Nicholas Costa's initial investigation. So that's really what, what we have there at any rate. Yes. I like Dang. Dang's a good character. Um, and I like, I like Nicholas Costa a lot. I mean, he's a no-nonsense guy. He's, um, he's a, he really wants to do his job in the FBI. And, of course, since he was assigned to the FBI office in Mexico City, he, end up, he ended up clashing with um, Daryl Barton, who we've talked about, who is mm. not a, who's a pretty reprehensible individual. So, so that's um, where it goes with those two characters. So who can he, she trust? She has a team. So who can she trust? And why doesn't the president go along with her ideas at first? Because he says there's something missing. Well, the reason the president doesn't, and this gets to the heart of the novel, yeah. is yeah. this is that the president does she Kelly presents evidence to President Braddock that the Chinese are involved, that the Chinese are trying to influence the presidential election. And that's the information that she brings and presents to him. But the president does not believe or want to believe her information. And the reason he doesn't is because he doesn't want to confront the Chinese, and therein lies the problem. I mean, he doesn't want to confront the Chinese. He has a lot of things going on. Um, he'd like this to go away. He doesn't want to end up risking a potential war with China. He doesn't want to have a, uh, you know, he thinks about, he's familiar, of course, with the Cuban Missile Crisis, he doesn't want to end up in another crisis like this um, with the Chinese over Mexico. So that's that's essentially what what happens um, with the uh, with with why the president doesn't want to go along. You know that's not surprising that that presidents yeah, wouldn't want to get bad news. They wouldn't want to have a confrontation. They'd like to avoid it at all possible. So how do you do that? He tells Kelly, "Your information's not solid." You don't have enough background. You don't have enough facts. I mean, that's the kind of stuff he tells Kelly, and then he, uh, and then they sort of have to go from there. He keeps telling her, "Get more information. You need more information." So she goes back, and to get more information, she ends up putting herself at great risk. But Kelly's yeah. determined to do the job 
regardless of what the risks are. But that's what happens to her. Before I forget, uh, Monday, the author of Cry of the Innocent, on Thursday, I am honored, New York Times author Robert McCaw, Treasury Times 2. And on the 20th, this is going to be a brave one. Um, I was contacted by former FBI agent Michael Tabman, and we're going to tackle gun violence, gun gun restrictions, and we're going to talk about Texas and Buffalo and school safety on the 20th. This should be interesting. I'm going to brave that one. On the 22nd, uh, we have the author that wrote a book about duck hunting. On the 23rd, um, the author of The Handler. And on the 27th, why not end the month with Tess Gerenson and the Rizzoli Islands listen to me. So that's just some of what I have coming up. I never know. So how did Daryl find out that she's in Mexico, but how does she turn to her father to help her? I like the father. Well, I like the father, too. Well, she goes to the father for advice. He's a former CIA agent, and he had a problem because Mm. he had a very illustrious career, and his job was to, at one point, at his last big job, was trying to assist um, East German scientists to get out of the country. This was before uh, the Berlin Wall fell, and his job was to was to have them get out of the country and have them come um, into the West. And so he had a a big operation set to go, and he really wanted it to go. And he got uh, the uh, people back in Washington and Langley at CIA headquarters, got information that, that this operation had been compromised, and they told Kelly's father to abort the operation but he refused, and he went ahead with the operation anyhow, and, um, and it, it blew up. The, the person they were trying to get out of the country um, was murdered. Um, her father was wounded, and he was, he was basically fired from the CIA after an illustrious career because of this failure to follow orders. So, but he's always been a sounding board for her. And now Kelly's in a difficult situation because she's not following all the orders herself in connection with this investigation because she wants to find out what Operation Chameleon is all about and she wants to thwart it. And so and there are parallels. She goes to Beijing. How come? That's well, dangerous. she goes to Beijing, it is, because she has a very good contact in the Chinese government who is mm-hmm. now the Chinese ambassador to Rome. And that Chinese diplomat, when she met with her, when he met with her in Rome, informed her that the answer you're seeking is in Beijing. And he gives her some information about who she could meet with in Beijing, if, in China, if she goes. And mm-hmm. so... Um, so she decides at great risk to herself and without authorization from the president and really without any protection, she decides to make a secret trip to Hong Kong because that's where the um, Chinese diplomat in Rome told her she could 
find the information she wanted because he told her the information you want is in China, and if you go to Hong Kong, I'll have somebody meet with you who will give you the information you need. So she goes off to Hong Kong, as I say, without the knowledge of the president, at great risk to herself. And uh, I'm not going to say what happens to her in Hong Kong, but, but oh, she's, yeah, uh, she's put, at, no, put at considerable risk to herself personally in Hong Kong. This is a very dangerous uh, situation for Kelly Cameron. And so that's what happens to her in, um, in, in Hong Kong. Okay, so now we have two more people, three actually, who are Walt and Harry, and how does she get, who is Tom Hennessy? What does he do to help her, if at all? Yep, okay, let's talk about Tom Hennessy. Tom Hennessy is a fascinating character, and um, I really like writing Tom Hennessy a lot, because Tom Hennessy is a high-level official at the U.S. State Department. And Tom Hennessy is in charge of Latin American affairs at the U.S. State Department. And Tom Hennessy is um, hes somebody who's at a point in his life where he's really embittered about his situation and unhappy. Um, his he First of all, he... He has has had numerous, he was married, had children, but he had a number of affairs. He was a chronic philanderer, and so he was, um, his wife divorced him and cleaned him out of, of any money he had, and he lost custody of the children. And on top of that, what happens is to Tom Hennessy is he has just been passed over for a promotion at the State Department to a top political job, and he's career, Hennessy's career. And so the job went to a political appointee. So he's really kind of um, unhappy and bitter about his life and his situation at this point in time, Hennessy is. And so um, Kelly, um, Sally Wu, in order to do her job for the Chinese government of obtaining information about what's happening in the Mexican election, she recruits Hennessy to work with her. Now, she does this with the full knowledge and acquiescence of Kelly Cameron, but she recruits um, she recruits um, um, Hennessy, and Hennessy is going to be Sally Wu's um, source of information. He's going to supply to her information, um, top secret information about what the U.S. government is doing with the Mexican election, and then Sally Wu is going to turn this information over to the Chinese government, and she's told Kelly that before I turn anything over to the Chinese government, I'll let you see it, I'll let you review it, and if you think I should not turn over some stuff, then I won't turn it over. That's what Sally Wu tells tells Kelly Cameron. So this uh, relationship, and, and, and meantime, in order to make it work with Hennessy, Sally Wu starts an affair with Hennessy. And so mm-hmm. um, they are having a, 
it seems as if it's a torrid romance and a and a considerable amount of uh, of of activity of sexual activity and this is how their relationship is solidified and it becomes pivotal the relationship between Sally Wu and Hennessy becomes pivotal to the novel we're not going to say any more about that but i was I always wondered about this this i mean you read about it in the news, and you know that there are people that are working two sides. Why do some people become traitors? Is it strictly money, power? And what is the incentive to become a traitor to the United States or any government and think you're not going to get caught eventually? Well, let's talk about that because I've done a lot of reading and research on that topic, <clears throat> not just for this book, but for my other books. And... Um, and you're raising a wonderful question, age-old question, what's the motivation? And one motivation is, as you say, money. And here we have a character, Hennessy, who's in, not in good shape on money because of the divorce that cleaned him out, un, unhappy with his job. Okay, so one, one is money. Another one is a a bitterness uh, or an antipathy to the United States and American policy. I mean, some people do it for ideology. I mean, people um, during the communist period spied for Russia because they believed in the communist system. And, and for Gwen, ideology is a key, key issue. She believes that China will emerge victorious in its struggle with the United States. And Sally Wu wants to be on the winning side. And she also has resentments against, I'm sorry, we're talking about Gwen now, not Sally Wu. Gwen wants to be on the winning side. And Gwen also has resentments against the United States. So we've got money's one, ideologies two, resentments against the United States is three. Number four is is uh, whether it's referred to in the spy language as the old honey trap, is sexual relationships, people lured <clears throat> into compromising sexual relationships and then blackmailed into, into proceeding. So, in, so blackmail can be <clears throat> another, another um, incentive to get into the spy game. So those are four of the, of the top ones. Um, and they oh. actually, they're all at work in this novel, in these characters, yeah. with Hennessy, with Sally Wu, with Gwen. I mean, all of these various reasons. That's why I love putting this book together, because I had a chance to explore these various motivations, and that's what seems to, seems to be at play at any rate. Yes. It is, definitely. But she... Kelly has to question Gwen. She has to question Sally. So how did you create the final scenes without giving it away and heart palpitations again? Well, first of all, um, I have I have a trial and I have a courtroom scene, <clears throat> and yeah. I like doing those. I mean, as you know, by training and by job. I mean, I've <clears throat> my whole career. I've been a lawyer in Washington with a big Washington law firm at the same time that I've written books. This is my 16th book. So I'm in Washington. I'm working as a lawyer. And 
I've I've really tended to stay away from in my writing from trials and legal scenes and mm. you know hey I thought that's what I do during the day I don't want to I don't want my novels to be that but I have to say for this book I departed it doesn't take up so much room it's not a boring long you know trial scene and mm-hmm. and legal book it's not a legal book but I do have I do have a court proceeding, and I have some prosecutors, and and they become pivotal, and to the story. And I liked writing those because I I know what I'm writing about, and it was fun to write them. But they become pivotal because it is a critical part of the American judicial system that whenever um, an investigation is being conducted and the government wants to charge excuse me the people who are who they believe are guilty the standard way that prosecutors work is that they work with low level people and then they work their way up the chain so to speak is they work with low level people and they offer the low level people immunity from prosecution and in return for that immunity from prosecution, the low-level people up the food chain agree that they will they will give the prosecutor the information that the prosecutor wants. And that's the typical way that prosecutors work their way up the chain in, in law enforcement. And so that's really um, what happens in this book and I liked, I enjoyed utilizing that because I think mm. it's a very effective way to bring a case and prosecute a case. And so that's really what I, uh, what I, what I work with in this book. And and I think it comes out pretty well, don't you? I mean, I, I sort of it felt does. comfortable doing it. And you know, you wonder it. sometimes. I listen to the news. I try not to. <laughs> right, um, we can't help it. It's it's everywhere. Well, I watch programs like Vanish, Snapped. Uh, serial killers, killer, killer relationships, and last night I watched one um, undis- undiscovered, uncovered secrets. Yeah. Um, it was so sad. The girl was killed, and they never found her. All these oh. years, like ten, fifteen, years, they never found right. her. And the guy that killed her, and the and the his girlfriend, whatever wife, they never found her. So these are like I wonder sometimes. Do they know when these people are giving them the information, they have to make sure that it's real. They can't just say, right. okay, I'm going to give you immunity. So this this is what worries me now. Richard, I love Richard. How come you're putting him in Jordan? Is he leaving I'm sorry. Kelly? How come I'm putting him what? How come you, Richard's taking a job with the Jordanian government? Oh, okay. He's taking a job because he is a consultant. He he needs a job himself. He, he's not just going to stay home. Julie's at school, and he's his his CIA background. And so, what do these people do for their job mm-hmm. after they leave the the government? And he had been high level. He knows a lot about security, and so he has started his own consulting firm in Washington. And he's trying to obtain clients. And one of the mm-hmm. clients he wants to get is the Jordanian government. So that's what uh, that's what Richard's up to vis-a-vis the um, Kelly and the Jordanian government. That's what that's what he's trying to do. So, so at any rate, Kelly, but he's a good character and they have I think they have a good I relationship. Like him. 
Now, they're engaged. Are they going to get married? Well, we don't know. Yeah, we'll that's the question. We'll have to tune in for that. Yes, we'll have to tune in for that. We don't know. Anyhow, right. You can't kill him off, though, because I'll cry. Philip, Philip Margolin in The Darkest Place, I interviewed him in March, and I cried when I read the book, because he killed off somebody that was very important, killed off a main character. And I was well, like, let me oh say this. God, I ended up making that mistake in in my second novel called A Woman of yeah. Valor, which which now has a good chance of being a, a TV series. And so, but I made a mistake in the novel of killing off my heroine. Um, I mean, I, obviously they'll bring her back for the TV series, but but I made a mistake in doing that, and I'll never you do poor. that again. I'll never kill off a major character a hero or a heroine, I think that's, you need those people for your future books, and you don't want to, you don't want to kill off those characters, I learned that. He said he wanted to give Robin Lockwood another person, and I said, you can't do this, I was hysterical, I couldn't believe it, but he did it, so what lessons would Kelly learn after dealing with China, and in reality, this could really happen, I mean, fixing elections, we know that. So what, 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 what is she going to learn about next time, and what's next for Kelly? Well, I haven't decided what's next for Kelly because, Fran, I know you will like this. My is Craig coming back, back? Yes, Craig Page and Elizabeth Crowder. Okay. I have gotten so much from your one of the people and others. So many readers have said to me, you have to bring back Kelly, uh, you have to bring back Craig Page. You have to bring back Elizabeth Crowder. We oh, really like those characters. I mean, I've used them in, I guess, four or five novels, and people really like those characters. And so I'm putting Kelly on hold for now because it's really popular demand. I'm bringing back, I'm bringing back uh, uh, Craig Page and Elizabeth Crowder because I think you know, that's something that readers seem to want. And so that's 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 kind of what my plan is with them. So at any rate, I, I hope you'll like it. I hope it'll work. And, um, and you know, it's going to involve China, too, because oh, good. originally I conceived of a novel conceived involving Russia. But what's happening over in the Ukraine and in Russia mm-hmm. has prohibits me from writing any novel that involves Russia because, I mean, after all, the events are going to overtake the novel. And so the novel will come out, and it's, and it's going to be overtaken by events. So I can't, you know, I can't, I can't do that. I can't risk it. You write for a whole year to get a book done, and then the book comes out, and then you're overtaken by events. I mean, I was, you know, thinking you have to say, pity the poor Washington novelist, the poor international novelist, because we're struggling to come up with plots, but we always mm-hmm. have to worry we're going to get overtaken by events that are uh, you know, unfolding in the world. So that's part of what's going on. But at any rate, that's where I'm headed next, Fran, in terms of your question. Well, you have to make sure I know. I can't believe this. For those people out there that are listening, if you have a book coming out, in November or December, let me know, because my schedule all the way through October is filled. Don't have a date. Just filled one more, and that was it. And as far as November, I've got a couple, and December, we'll see. So if you have a book coming out, I have already have one or two for 2023 also. 
getting popular. And well, I'm, like, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that the my new book, The Chinese Agent, that we're able to talk to you about it. Really thrilled because I know what your schedule's like, and I love doing these interviews. And so, as soon as the Chinese agent came out, as you know, I immediately called you and said, "Fran, know because please I need to put know me on your things. schedule." Right. Well, not only that, this book has. My, I, I go to my dermatologist not to see him. <laughs> I'm only invited if I bring books, like yesterday. So I walked in, and I had a big bag of about 50, and the girl looked at me. I said, I read those in two weeks. What do you want? One more? <laughs> and I have another 10 in my bag, and yours is going in. His wife reads, and he said that she doesn't want her to go out and buy books, and it's much easier if I just give it to her. So... He and he likes this stuff, so he'll probably read it too. So, where can everybody find out more about your books? And I'm going to probably come up with um, maybe in November with a panel, something different and unique. Sure, I'd love to be on any panel with you, Fran. They can go on my website, www.allentopol.com, find out about me, find out about the book. They can get the book on Amazon and paper or a uh, Kindle, and I hope and I hope if they read the book, the, my website has a reader mm. mail. I really would love to get reader feedback anytime from readers. I think there's nothing like it. Writing's a lonely uh, art, and uh, please, so send me an email. Let me know what you think. I'd love that, really, please. And for those thank who sent reviews onto Amazon, thank you, thank you. It helps a lot. I appreciate it. Well, mine was just close. As a matter of fact, this is a first. Usually it takes them um, an hour or two. I got They approved yours in five minutes. I mean, oh, really. Oh, God. Well, we're doing great with this book. I'm very, very happy with the Chinese agent. So everybody, it's a beautiful day outside. Everybody stay safe. Alan, thank you a million times, and I will contact you probably in a week or so or maybe before about a panel show about something different that I've never done before. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe and bye. Many, many thanks, Fran. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.